other good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing, and this is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome back to the conversation. Well, we're back after a short holiday break. I hope everybody had a good and restful end of the year and a nice holiday uh, experience. Uh, today on the show, I've got Rowan Chai, who is the co-founder and CEO of IOTEX. Um, what IOTEX does is they are trying to bridge the world of smart devices and blockchain, what a lot of people call the Internet of Things. Um, so they're doing this through creating um, something that's a mouthful to say, but it's a decentralized physical infrastructure network. Uh, for short, that go, they go by DPIN. So a great example of uh, DPIN is a, a mobile phone carrier that uh, is, is using uh, decentralized infrastructure uh, as hotspots. Um, so you could set up one of these in your garage and it's a hotspot on the um, on the network that allows um, you know phones to connect to each other. The big one about that one is Helium. Uh, and as we reported in the newsletter the other day, um, Helium now have, has more traffic going over it than uh, the T-Mobile network. So uh, it's, a, it's a crazy kind of development. And IOTEX is right at the forefront of this um, by trying to create the networks that are necessary for this, the hardware that's necessary, and also by integrating into um, systems like Solana, Polygon and Arbitum. Uh, we talked a little bit about how um, Rowland was a white hat hacker uh, back in his teenage years. Uh, we talked about him going to the University of Waterloo, uh, where he got a PhD in cryptography. That's, of course, where Vitalik Buterin, the inventor of Ethereum, went for a little while before dropping out. Um, and we talked about just sort of the state of the blockchain world right now, what 2023 was like, and where Rowland sees 2024 heading. So with all that being said, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for the support. And uh, we are back with new episodes. Hey, Roland, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. How about you, Matt? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been interested to talk to you because you're on the forefront of this new thing called DPIN, uh, which for a lot of people like me, uh, this is a new term that I've only started to see recently. Uh, and it stands for Decentralized physical infrastructure networks. Um, so that's a bit of a mouthful. Um, and for folks that are catching up on this, I maybe thought we could just jump in and you could give a real simple 30,000 foot sort of definition of what DPIN is and what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, definitely. So DPIN essentially is like a physical infra network, right? So it's like a Uber, like the transportation services we're having, the power, the electricity, the utility, we're using on a daily basis the phone 5G as well. So those are called physical infrastructure. I think DPIN is definitely like adding a layer on top of those physical infrastructure, which has this ethos of decentralization, meaning like the provider for those utilities or physical infra networks are not necessary to be a centralized company, but could be like a everyday people like you and me, right? So for example, you can buy a device setting up like a 5G coverage in your garage, which will be used by like a nearby people. So that's kind of like an essence for deeping. And is this, this has its roots in the internet of things, right? Yeah, I think most uh, importantly, there are two technologies that enable this deeping kind of philosophy. So one is IoT, uh, which is this sort of hardware. So they are so powerful right now and also so cheap. So that makes everybody is affordable to purchase one and set it up right by yourself. 
And another one is, of course, the blockchain, the decentralization technology, which makes like the payment, settlement, off-chain verification, all those complicated stuff possible without centralized party. Yeah. I've been covering this for a while, and I know that IoT is um, a very important, or it's... It seems to me it's very tricky, uh, and that a lot of people have, um, you know, been been doing a lot uh, to to try to create the infrastructure and the bottom layer for, um, you know, smart devices that would then be connected to a blockchain. I mean, it's it's funny when I started researching this, I I'd immediately thought of Slocket, which were the guys, um, you know, that created the DAO. Um, I've got a long history with the DAO and that story, but you know, their idea was they wanted a smart lock that was connected to the Ethereum blockchain so that you could unlock a bike with uh, e an ETH address, you know, or uh, an apartment where you could be renting it sort of like Airbnb. And so, you know, it, it kind of goes way back. Uh, that was in like 2015, 2016. But it seems to me that all throughout this time that it's it's been it's been tricky because there's so much. Um, I, I don't know how you would say it, but it's like the, what is it? The data there, there's just so much um, traffic or volume that is necessary for this stuff that like blockchain networks, as far as I know, up to this point, are still struggling to handle that. Is is that still the case today? Uh, yeah, I think I know the team, like the lock team you're talking about in the year of like 2015 or 2016, right? So they have done this like a, a three Ethereum smart contract, which is pretty cool. Um, I think tec technically, like uh, this become possible around the year of 2017 or 16-ish. So everything becomes possible. But you know, those things will take a few years to mature, right? Like the hardware cost goes down, so people's recognition uh, goes up. So everybody kind of buying the philosophy of deeping. So that's why, you know, it has been spending so many years until we see the term deeping right now. Uh, so we have been, you know, uh, founded in the 2017, really focused on IoT blockchain at that time. So we have been seeing like the involvement, you know, from very kind of putting just two tech terms all together, IoT blockchain, all the way to deeping right now, which has a lot of use cases, a lot of scenarios, a lot of people talking about it. So yeah, happy to walk you through the journey. It's a, it's a fun journey. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. But what I'd love to hear is like, what is a use case um, that you use as an example for folks who are trying to wrap their heads around this? Like what, what is Deepin really for? What, what would it, or what application would you think really appeal to people uh, out there in the world? Yeah, I used to use like a two example. So one is Uber, right? So I work in Uber during its hyper growth stage. So I really understand like how Uber works. Uh, I feel like um, Deepin is definitely like a next phase for Uber. It's like a next generation for sharing economy per se. So Uber still have its like a centralized company, like doing all the operations stuff in the middle. Uh, so how about if we do like a Uber in a purely decentralized way? That's very possible. Uh, so we can actually reduce the cost for uh, for for rider and also like uh, making the drivers more profitable. I want so that. this would be um, Uber, except it's directly between the rider and the driver, and there's no Uber in the middle. There is no Uber in the middle, so it's like a DAO basically, right? <clears throat> So another example I, I talk to people is like this free energy for everybody, right? So this is not proposed by me. This was proposed by this like a genius Tesla, uh, Tesla as a inventor, right? Not as a as a car. So he talked about, um, you know, having Nikola Tesla. 
Yeah. That's who we're talking about. Yeah. Nik- okay. Nikola Tesla, yes. So the, he talked about, you know, having this big giant kind of solar panel during his age, of course, you know, installed on the ground and uh, receiving like energies from the sun, solar powers, and then give energy free to people. I think it's a really, really good initiative, right? Energy should be free for people to use. And what is stopping us from that? Or what's the hurdle that we're, you know, that, that you're encountering in that example? Yeah, there are a lot of hurdles actually, uh, but we are kind of like slowly uh, conquer all those hurdles. One is the cost of the hardware, right? So if the hardware is very expensive, so it's very hard to kind of get it started. Um, two is uh, if we don't have this decentralized technology to kind of uh, coordinate, you know, provider, consumer all together, then this is not possible because if you rely on one central co- centralized company to do this for entire like electricity, there are a lot of, you know, political reasons this will not work. Right. And there's a lot of money at stake. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. That's one thing that I wanted to talk to you about. I was, I was reading some of the things you've written uh, earlier this year. You wrote a, a post about Infura and how it was revealed that they were collecting IP addresses and ETH addresses from users. Um, and that was through MetaMask and consensus was involved, of course, and that, you know, that was a real privacy issue. And it, it, it struck me that obviously you were in this already, but is that kind of a prime example of why you want to have these decentralized networks? Um, I think this is part of the reason, not entirely the reason. Of course, privacy is important, right? So usually we talk about, you know, uh, users should own their data, should own the value that's derived from their data, but a kind of centralized corporations are uh, um, done doing that way. So I think uh, this Infura is a good example. So we do see like a kind of decentralized Infura on the market as well. I think it's called Pocket Network. So they do like a decentralized like a node, basically providing RPC services to wallets like a MetaMask. That's right. kind of addressing the issue. Yes. And the issue is because if you want a decentralized network, you can't have one aspect of it be centralized, right? It kind of throws the whole thing off. Yeah, that's true. And so is that kind of motivating you to do this DPIN work in general? Uh, I I think DPIN is, uh, how should I put it, right? So if you really think about, if you want to change the world, if you want to do like a free power for everybody on this planet, so you have a huge upfront cost to install all the solar panels on everybody's roof, right? If you are doing a Web2 company way. So that's kind of impossible. Even Elon Musk, I think it's hard for him too. However, I think decentralization gave us like a different way or pattern or paradigm to do the same job. So how about if we have like a people kind of working together, someone provides energy, someone uh, consumes energy. So this saves a lot of like upfront capital, right? If you were talking about physical networks, infra networks. And I mean, that's such a huge undertaking that you must be doing this in very small pieces. Is that right? Yeah, that's very true. If you think about like a Uber, right? So they never have a car, but they're the biggest taxi company in the world. If you think about Airbnb, they never have a house, right? But they're like the biggest hotel on this planet. They kind of like, you know, um, demonstrate like the deeping idea, even like 10, maybe 20 years back. Mm-hmm. You, so you mentioned this briefly, you were at Google for a while and then you were at Uber. Um, 
a lot of times people use those as Web two examples of what Web three wants to avoid or or is trying to to make better. Yeah. Do you take that from that experience, or did did any of that work that you did there? color what you're doing now in Web3? Yeah, I think Google, right? So Google is a great company, I would have to say. So it's a great in tech, a lot of, you know, very advanced technology inside. I think I pick a lot, lot of things around large scale ex, uh, systems, distribution systems um, from Google. I think from that perspective, Google is great. Uh, Uber basically gave me a lot of ideas about how this world can work, like I mentioned about, right? So you can do a car business without having a car. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can do a, um, yeah, Airbnb we talk about. And there are some even like a charging station company. So you can basically having people to rent out their like a wall charger uh, to other people. Basically, people help other people. That's kind of like the idea under Deeping. So this basically opens a new door for me. It says, you know, so if we want to change the world, so we should like do it together with the people. And it's amazing though, isn't it, that a car, or a company like Uber can convince people to use their own cars, and and then Uber sidesteps that huge capital in cost of of having cars, right? And and yet they still insert themselves into the process and take something like thirty percent uh, for the convenience of connecting people. And and obviously in Deepin, you're not going to do this for free. But I guess we're talking about the the cost of it, of, of the of the convenience factor, I guess, would be vastly smaller. Yeah, definitely. Like also a larger scale as well, right? Because you see Uber at its early stage, it has this chicken egg problem. So how do we onboard driver? You have to put in some like heavy capital, you know, to incentivize driver on day one. And then you can have a rider, right? So I think this is a part of uh, kind of soft in the deep in space by having a token. So you can have your token on day one, almost, right? Try to incentivize driver or like the supply side to kind of get, get it going. Helium is another example. It has a token to get people to buy their devices, setting up like a hotspot for 5G wireless or LoRa networks. Then kind of like the consumer side will follow. And how's that going on the token side? Do, do you worry that that could be seen as a security in the current regulatory environment? I know it's an incentive and it's a, it could be seen as a utility token because it's necessary to use your network, but other people see that very differently. Yeah, I think that's, that's a something like a, um, still not too clear, to be honest. Right. So, but I do think those dipping tokens has more utility compared to a, you know, purely like a mean coin or token on the market. Yeah. Uh, at least like they're helping people to use certain utility. Okay. I'm, I'm curious how you found yourself in this world and in technology in general. Were you always drawn to this as a kid? Yeah. I, I like my background, right? So, um, I was like a white hat hacker when I was like a teenager, to be honest, right? Yeah. So I hacking websites, not just for destroying the website, just for fun and, you know, uh, making a better website. So, so like my, my background is always security. I have done like a, so many things in security, exploit vulnerability, firewall, uh, intrusion detection systems and so forth. And eventually I feel like those things are just like a small tricks. You know, how about I go like a one deeper into security, which is cryptography, 
right? That's why I started my PhD in Waterloo around the year 2008, uh, really doing like cryptography. So that's kind of like a year I got into Bitcoin too, because everybody thinks Bitcoin is just, you know, in my, in my research labs, right? Everybody thinks like Bitcoin is too good to be true. How could you have a, such a, like a reliable cash, uh, electronic cash without having a centralized party, right? Then like a bunch of like a crypto nerds are trying to like destroy Bitcoin at the time, but we failed and everybody kind of fell in love with Bitcoin, like the wonderful, you know, amazing design underneath. So that's kind of like my crypto journey starts. Okay, I got I to go back. Are there any fun white hat hacker stories you can share with us of, of what you were doing as a teenager? Yeah, as a teenager, I tried to like so many things, right? I tried to explore like a website, you know, um, you know, which could make me like, a, a, you know, I don't know how much, how much cash I can, I can make. But like, uh, I just like I choose to notify like the website host to fix the bug. I used to write like a malware just for fun. Uh, <laughs> those like a kid's stories. Try to see how, how much like uh, machines my malware can, you know, kind of deploy to a few hundred, a few thousand. Yeah, those are fun, fun, fun times. Did you ever like bring any, anything down? I brought down, I think, a lot of lot of things, right? But smaller <laughs> things, not major, <laughs> major things. Yeah. All right. Uh, you're the real deal. And so you mentioned the emergence of Bitcoin in, in 2009, basically, and, and how it was for the first time, this uncensorable electronic payment network that, that couldn't be stopped. That must have been a huge light bulb for you because uh, people have been trying that for a long time. And, and for somebody like you that was really into cryptography, that's a huge aspect to, to it. And, and I wondered, did that sort of set you on this path? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Like I said, right. So uh, we are so amazed by the design of Bitcoin um, because like uh, a permissionless electronic cash has been like the holy grail for entire cryptography. Right. So people have tried so many things in the past, so many papers in the past, but nothing worked. Then one day they come up, came up with this Bitcoin white paper. No one will believe it will work. Right. Everybody thinks, oh, it's just a paper. It will get attacked within a few months by smart guys. So that's why we pretend to be the smart guys, uh, but we failed. Now you and, see like how big Bitcoin is. Yeah, of course. And for, for a stupid guy like me, it seems like the big breakthrough that Satoshi came up with was ensuring that there was a record of every single Bitcoin transaction that made up the blockchain. That wasn't something that had not been tried. They, I think there, this, this approach was applied in different areas, but not in this instance is that am i correct to think that yeah i think the birth of bitcoin is a really like a genius combination of uh, like a few things which kind of emerged in the recent maybe uh one decade or two uh of course one is cryptography which is the foundation for the security of the cash system right uh the second one is sort of like a human nature human psychology um about competing with each other so collectively, we're making like a secure network. You know, like everybody wants to run a node to mine more cash or Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So for its own, like a nature of like greedy or something. Yeah, and then they have an incentive to protect exactly. the network. Yeah, collectively, they're building something greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. This is huge. Were you inspired to get into this as a kid by your parents? Were they into tech and science? Uh, no, they are most like in business, like my parents. So they're not, not in tech. But like, you know, when I was a kid, 
I'm very like fascinated by tech, you know, mm-hmm. the, the physics, the computer science and so forth. Where did you grow up? I, I was like grew up in China and I did my school actually in Canada and then ended up in US. Okay. And do you have brothers and sisters? I, I do not. Uh, you mentioned University of Waterloo. Of course, that's famously where Vitalik Buterin went for a little while. Did you guys cross paths there? Vitalik? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. But there are so many like uh, good founders, I think, that are coming out from Waterloo. Yeah. I think you might have been, you were there 2008 to... 2008 to 12, yes. Okay. Yeah, I think he might have been right at the tail end there. But I think he only spent about a year there and, and then dropped out. Is there something about that program at Waterloo that attracts folks? What What is it that if, if people, if listeners aren't familiar with, with the University of Waterloo, why why does it get this talent, do you think? I think Waterloo is really good at like a mass, mathematics, right? So which is the foundation for cryptography? So that's why cryptography is also strong in your Waterloo. There are several professors, even like including my advisor. So they are really strong in different aspects of cryptography, like a symmetric ones, public key cryptography, uh, elliptic curves, uh, so and so forth. So, okay. yeah. And also it's kind of like interesting to say, but like Waterloo is not in a big city, right? It's a very small town that makes people very focused on research and study. Unlike much else to do, I guess. Yeah, like Matt, you're in LA, you know, like how the life could be, right, in LA. Yeah, if you go to UCLA, there's a lot of distractions. Exactly, yeah. And you worked in crypto for Uber, but but that's the cryptography, not cryptocurrency. Can Can you just... Explain for folks, why would why does Uber need cryptography uh, in its business? Yeah, mostly for two applications, right? During that time when I joined, Uber was at a hyper-growth stage. A hyper-growth stage, basically we see, you know, a lot of riders, drivers on board to the platform. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 10%, 20% month by month. It's a, it's a lot, a lot of people. Uh, however, so there are two critical problems we have to solve using cryptography. So one is authentication. Right. So how do we, every time you use your Uber app to hold in a car, you have to log in first. So that's called mm-hmm. authentication, right? So that's basically like my, me and my team behind the scene, we build a system for the new version for authenticated Uber users, because we're talking about millions, millions of people, real people. That's one thing. Uh, we use cryptography. So two, the second one is uh, privacy. So um, <laughs> as a, like a very, very early stage, Uber, of course, it's a application driven uh, business, right? So it doesn't really care too much about people's privacy. So a lot of, you know, user data is just like a store in plain text on the cloud, which is kind of scary to think about, right? But if you mm-hmm. think about the IPO regulations and so forth, there is a strong need for privacy. So that's why cryptography has another big usage at Uber. Take, take me forward. Once you, Bitcoin, Bitcoin kind of fascinated you. I've spoken to a lot of people who, Loved Bitcoin, but then when Ethereum came around, it kind of really blew their minds because now you've got smart contracts and you've got this ability to do almost everything else in the world besides value transfer, which which Bitcoin really perfected. Was that your case as well? So Ethereum is like a great invention, right? Basically extends the compute uh, availability of Bitcoin to a lot of to cover a lot of things. So that's, I think the core innovation is still the EVM for mm-hmm. Ethereum, right? But like for EVM, I think it's different grid, right? But like EVM has its own like a limitation because it's very 
can do some very simple computation. Uh, that's why you see Ethereum, a lot of application on Ethereum is very finance focused. Like I issue a token, do a DAX you know, here and there. Uh, but I think it's not necessary to be the case if there's a, there was another genius who invented another kind of smart contract chain during that time, which can design a EVM or a VM that has more computation capability. I think this will change how the landscape of crypto as we see today. Yeah, we were just writing about this in our newsletter. It, I think you're talking about the difference between serial compute and parallel compute. Yeah, we call it off-chain compute, but it's uh, it's maybe similar to what you're talking about. Right, because on Ethereum, it, it uses serialized computation, so it has it can only do one thing at a time. But a, a chain like Solana has a parallel compute, and so it can do many transactions all at the same time. Yeah, I totally agree with you, right? So if you can do like a, some simple, slow computation, then you can only do like a finance mostly. <clears throat> but if you want to deepen back to the topic you're talking about, I think a lot of computation has to be done. We're talking about the millions and millions of cars, many data every minute, right? Yeah. Then you have someone has to do the compute before giving it back to the blockchain. Because blockchain, if you are decentralized enough, it's slow. So let's face it, it has to be slow. Yeah. Right. It's this trade-off between security, right, and speed. And so I saw that you guys integrated with Solana recently. Obviously, that's because you need a high-performance high blockchain to do all those transactions that we were just talking about. Uh, yes. So IOTAX, you know, so after being there so many years, so we have built like a different modules uh, for dipping, right? So we have our own layer one chain, which is EVM compatible, uh, which has been like running in production for how many years? Four years, processing 100 million transactions already, pretty successful. So that's kind of our layer one. And in addition to this, we have this option compute com component, which you call the web stream. Because I understand, you know, no matter how fast you do the chain, even Solana, like you still cannot do dipping without option compute, mm -hmm. right? So that's why web stream is a, is a product we have integration with Solana. Yeah. That, that means if you're a dipping developer, if you're doing like a decentralized Uber, decentralized Airbnb, so you send the data to the web stream first, it does a lot of computes, their knowledge computes or proof of validity proof. That goes to the Solana smart contract, says, oh, Matt, you have been driving you know, safely today. So here's your NFT or 10 tokens. Okay. And then it's all, the layer one is used as the sort of, what, the, the final record? Um, so for a deep in builder, right? So what we're going to um, propose in this new year is something called a modular infra for deeping. That means we provide different modules for deeping founders or builders to choose, right? So they can use our layer one or not. They can use our, our like option compute part or not, right? So there are some other products we build as well, such as deepingscan.io, uh, which is more like a kind of coin market cap for deeping type of website that receives a lot of attention as well, right? So if you're a deeping founder, you want to expose your early stage project to deeping community, then that's, that's kind of like the public good place we have for you. Um, and also we have another thing we call liquid hub. We have a lot of like a deeping assets. So they're hard to have a liquidity on day one or after right after their TGE, right? So we have this liquidity hub for their assets, you know, trade and getting like more liquidity. So we have like a four or five like a modules here. So for, you know, different stage kind of deeping projects. Okay. When are you planning to release those? 
Um, so the four actually I mentioned already released, not their final version, but like a preview version is already released. And we're getting a lot of tractions from the project side, from user side already. So we're going to continue to grow those products in 2024. And there's like one more thing that, that's even more exciting we're going to launch in 2024. Okay. So we've talked about some of your exemplary use cases. What, what are some of the things that people are using your network for that you, you think are really cool? Um, I think it's a philosophy for deeping. So for now, right, so if you look at the, on the market, there are a few like a really good deeping projects on the market. Helium, maybe Filecoin, if you really count for it. Um, maybe Leapier, right? So I feel Helium is the um, mobile phone provider, right? Yeah, it's a mobile phone provider. Yeah, that's decentralized and you can spin up a node. Yeah, a- so those, those deeping projects, we consider them as a monolithic deeping. Right, so they are great team, right? So we're basically friends with the team. We love everybody on that team, uh, but they are like a huge kind of team who can do a lot, lot of things from hardware all the way to application, smart contract, web, community, everything up. But if you look at the crypto, entire crypto, this should not be the case. Usually crypto teams are pretty small. If you know, like I remember like a DeFi summer, right? Why DeFi summer exists is because it's so simple. Like a two, three persons team, they can do like a DeFi protocol overnight. Right, then launch, try idea, it's done the work and maybe just go die for about a few days or become something like a really big, like a Uniswap is such a good idea. 100 lines of code, you know, you have like a, I don't know, $10 billion evaluation. So I feel like a deeping should be also going for this way. It's like more like a bottom up, um, composable, inclusive, and also have a fair launch type of way. So that's why like our philosophy for deeping is not saying, oh, you should put in together like a, a huge team, you know, you should raise like a hundred mil, like a dollar, you know, to start uh, before you start, right? Like our philosophy is very different. Starting small, like a toy, right? So we're going to play, give, give you like a playground to test out your different ideas. Maybe 10, like nine of 10 will fail, but one will shine at last, right? So that's kind of like my, how I see this deeping as a category will grow in 2024 and now. And so if I hear you right, you want to just give people the building blocks and let them use them in the ways that they want. That's very true. Yeah. It reminds me of Alchemy a little bit. They sort of do the same thing on a lot of backend stuff in the NFT world and, and yeah. Web3. It's a very similar like a philosophy. Yeah. Right, just try to wrap or abstract out a lot of complexity, right? Especially when we're talking about hardware, there's a lot of complexity. How can we just like uh, you know abstract away those complexity, giving people a very clear module or Lego building blocks to to play with? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned before I was reading some of the things you've written, and about a year ago you wrote something for Coin Telegraph. I think you were pretty pretty bullish. On, on crypto back then. I, I was wondering a year on how you think things have gone. It, it feels like last year was was actually pretty tough. Uh, somebody, I'm, I've been in crypto for a long time and my business depends on it. It, it just seems like, I think we've seen the light at the, at the end of the tunnel right now, but I'm curious how you felt about going through, you know, the rest of 2023 after you wrote that back in January. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I personally have been through this like a bull bear cycle maybe three, four times already since 26, 20, maybe 2014-ish, 20, right? So mm-hmm. maybe 12-ish. 
So I, I know how this industry works. You know, every four year, maybe one year bull, three year bear. That's usually the case. Uh, why we have bear? Because people are too greedy, right? <laughs> That's like too much leverage on the market. It will naturally just crash and kind of clean up for a few years and coming back. So that's why like uh, IOTEX is one of the team. I think uh, one of the few team on the market where still keep building, keep hiring during the uh, bear market. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how many people, I don't know if they're actually in the space, but they're around the space only to make money, you know? And I yeah. think that that really is got to be about 90%, you know? And then there's the 10% of people who are actually making stuff like you are. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, we want to really like uh, um, making IOTEX great, but at the same time, we want even like uh, having IOTEX to making the world a better place, right? For example, Elon Musk, he's making money. He's like the richest person in the world, but he's doing something, basically making the world better. So that's something I appreciate. Well, I could disagree with you there about what he's done with Twitter. It <laughs> 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 certainly uh, does not seem better to me. Regulation kind of really came to the forefront last year and is continues to come to the forefront as we're recording this. We're still waiting for the SEC to give the green light on a Bitcoin spot ETF. They really, Gary Gensler seems to be dragging his feet as much as possible on that. Do you think, is that an overhang for IOTEX? How, how do you see the regulatory environment um, in the bigger picture of what you guys are trying to accomplish? Yeah, I think definitely it's become tighter, right? So uh, compared to where when we started back in the 2017, um, definitely like a more regulation, but like that also means like a more serious capitals who's looking at this market right now. If you see, you know, all the big names on the Wall Street actually applied for the Bitcoin spot, the ETF, that says something. So definitely like this become a serious sector, I think. For for IOTAS, especially for deeping, I still think there's a, a huge potential here, right? So, um, so that's why, like, I, I'm kind of like a, <clears throat> not too interested in like a EVM because uh, it's very financial focus, right? You see, the DeFi is more like a you know financial focus. So, like the reason, like I want to spend my time on deeping is because this is something we're going to make the real world people benefit from. And it sounds like. You think there's room for the EVM, for Solana, for Avalanche, for what you guys are doing at IOTEX, that all these different blockchains will have their own sort of niche or purpose and, and they can all coexist. Do you think that's how the, the future is going to play out? I, I think so. There are so many layer one, layer twos on the market right now. So we don't need so many like a general purpose layer one, layer two, maybe just a few, one or two or two or three, right? Who knows? And all the rest of them will have to find their own niche, right? Like a flow, they're doing NFT, so we're doing beeping. So there are some other, other examples as well. Because different verticals are, are like a scenarios needs different optimization for the for the for the chain and also like the infrastructure around this chain, right? So you have to evolve you know, to adapt to that vertical to survive. Yeah. Having been through all these different cycles, as you mentioned, what do you think is coming for 2024? And do you see anything that maybe could bring mass appeal back to blockchain and web three? Because we got some huge black eyes in 2022 and there's a lot of hangover from that in 2023. And I, I just, I'm looking around and I see prices are up, but I 
don't see a real foundation for it yet, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm just curious if you're seeing anything different. Yeah, I haven't read my like uh, you know Twitter prediction or maybe ten prediction for 2024 yet, right? So I I, I was thinking uh, because I was thinking. So yeah, so Bitcoin price is definitely like coming back slowly. Um, I think the entire industry is more matured or like regulated, as you can see, right? So, and we, because we also invest into some deep in early stage deep in projects, as I can see, the, like the investment or like the, uh, the deep in early stage deep in projects become more active right now. So there are some like a really good founders. So they want to change the world in their way using deep in as a as a kind of bridge. So uh, definitely like I, I'm, I'm very looking forward to see Deepin become a big thing in 2024, which I do think so. Uh, I do think so. Because, you know, if you think about crypto, right, it starts with a few cyberpunky cyber folks, right? And it slowly grows, essentially kind of overflows to everybody to the real world. I think we're mostly at this stage, like overflow to the real world. So we have to think about, you know, how we can serve people in the real world. Of course, people are talking about crypto payment, which doesn't seem to be something that is coming right now. Uh, deep in something more realistic, per se. Yeah, it's, I was thinking about that. The payment aspect of crypto is obviously a killer app, I think. Uh, and I think it's already been established with Bitcoin, you know, over the years. And you'll see people like Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, saying that crypto should be killed. And then internally, they've created JPM coin. They're using crypto rails for all sorts of payments around the world between their branches. Um, if you know anything about crypto, you know JP Morgan has been very big in the Ethereum community for a long time. And it's it's just kind of infuriating and strange to see him telling Elizabeth Warren, you know, that he thinks crypto should be destroyed when his bank is like using it in all these different ways. <laughs> it's just, I, I, we're in such a strange spot right now. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's almost like people like Jamie Dimon have to appease these politicians um, while at the same time, they've got teams of engineers, uh, you know, figuring out what's the next thing that they're going to be doing in the crypto world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree with you. But, you know, aside from U.S., right? So if you look at the other parts of the world, you know, Europe, Asia, you know, South America, I think those places definitely like are very uh, hype on crypto as well. So there are some usage, especially in Turkey, right? So or some Argentina, I, think I heard about where like the fiat is not too stable. So people mm -hmm. tend to hold like a crypto, USDC or USDT. Yeah. Asia is definitely going full speed ahead as the U.S. kind of just drags its feet and shoots itself in the foot, whatever. Um, but Rowland, this has been really great. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's really interesting to, to learn about IOTEX and, and Deepin and, and all the amazing, you know, stuff that's going on there and, and good luck with everything. One, just let people know how they can find you or how they can find out more about IOTEX and what you guys are up to. Yeah, sure. Um, so our website is iotex.io. So our Twitter is iotex kind of underscore io. Yeah, so that's that's where you can learn more about what we do. My personal email is Rowland, R-A-U-L-L-E-N at iotex.io. Feel free to reach out if you are interested in you know working with us, learn more about us. Yeah, happy to chat. That's great. Thanks again, Rowland. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a good day.
That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And make sure to subscribe and rate us at Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Decent People is a production of Decentral Media. It is produced by Curtis Fritch with music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Ives. Thank you.